Hey friend, welcome back to the Faith and Finance Podcast. This is episode 17 with Bradley Rice. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining me again on the Faith and Finance Podcast. As always, I am so excited that you are here. I have an incredible guest on today's interview. So really, it's more of a conversation and I really think you're going to enjoy it. I know you will enjoy it and hear really the heart of what Brad is talking about in today's episode, you're going to learn about something he likes to call lifestyle design. And we talk about value spending or value aligned spending and figuring out the things that you do value. And we also chat about something called Salesforce, which you'll learn a little bit about. And then we also talked about the importance of family and how we trade time for dollars sometimes as well, too. So without any further ado, here is Brad Rice. But first, here's a word from our sponsor. Hey, Brad, welcome to the Faith and Finance Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. I am so excited that you're here because I think you have an incredible story of just it's so inspiring I first heard you on the choose fi podcast which is an awesome podcast I've talked about them a couple of times on here but I think you have an incredible story and I think that the audience would really like your story as well so Brad tell us a little bit about what your money story is awesome yeah thanks so much um yeah my money story so I grew up on a small farm in west georgia um and my grandparents were sharecroppers in East Alabama. Um, so I definitely didn't come from sort of a lavish upbringing. Uh, and my, my family definitely, they were very frugal in a lot of ways. And they definitely taught us to be smart with our money as far as penny pinching goes. So maybe not savvy with money. They didn't teach us how to invest or the difference between, you know, different types of retirement accounts or anything like that. But they definitely taught us that uh, money can either be a tool for success or it can be a, you know, a, a tool to create a lot of failure in your life um, and create a lot of holes to have to dig out of. So I think I had a healthy fear of what money could do, but also understood that it could be extremely useful um, if you were careful with it. Uh, so that sort of led to uh, me going into college, um, going to a school in Georgia with the Hope Scholarship, uh, working while I was in college to make sure I didn't take out any student loans or anything like that, um, and even did a little house hacking in college, too. Uh, me and my brother had a house, and we had three roommates at any given time to pay the mortgage. Um, so, so we did a few different things sort of in our upbringing to make it into, I'll say, beginning adulthood um, without any burden from a money standpoint. Um, and I think that sort of set the set the ground game for where I am today, or at least that I was um, smart with my money and always thinking strategically about how not to get into trouble with it, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And I love that. I also love the distinction you made when you said, I don't even know if you really quite realized what you said, but you said that um, you learned uh, how to be a penny pincher, but not necessarily how to be savvy with mm -hmm. money. And I think that's a really great distinction because the more you learn kind of about how to deal with finances, the more you learn that penny pinching doesn't necessarily 
get you that far, you know, but learning yeah. to be savvy with money is really important and can get you really far. Now, if you want to be a penny pincher, a penny pincher, I like thrifting and stuff like that. Cool. Like, that's awesome. But I like yeah. that you made the distinction there, which is really interesting. Um, and I also love that your parents or your grandparents were sharecroppers. That's really cool. I actually had never heard that on any of your other episodes that you've done. Yes. No, I don't. I don't know that I've ever shared that particular detail, but yes. Yes. You heard it here first, folks. No, I'm just kidding. That's right. <laughs> so that leads you to sort of uh, kind of the next point in your money story. So that was a really great ground uh, for starting, as you said. And so moving on with your life, kind of what was your journey with money, um, you know, in your teens and your young adult years, if you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I've got a couple of funny stories and I'll sort of talk about this because I think that um, I just want to sort of point out that I think people are many times born. If you, if you talk to, if you talk to enough people that are sort of in this um, what I'll call the financial independence space, um, which I would consider myself someone who's in the financial independence space. Um, they will basically tell you that there are people who are natural savers, which is definitely me. They're the kind of people who saved money by default and then had to really be positioned with something worth purchasing in order to spend money. Um, where, of course, there's the other end where it's natural spenders who you don't have to push them too much to get them to buy something. Um, but to get them to save money, you've really got to, you know, give them something to save for. Um, and so I'm definitely a natural saver. Um, and, and so I've sort of got this funny story that when my brother turned 12, uh, I was 10 at the time, so he's two years older than me. And when he turned 12, my parents bought him a four-wheeler. And I remember distinctly that it was $2,000. And they said, when you turn 12, Brad, we'll get you a four-wheeler. And I thought that was great. Well, when I turned 12, I asked them if I could have $2,000 cash instead of a four-wheeler. And I would just get by it without one. And they, they said, okay. And they gave me $2,000 cash. And I remember that I spent about 100 bucks on video games and put 1900 in the bank as wow. a 12-year-old. Right. So, so I didn't know how to put it in a you know, an interest bearing account or an index fund or anything fun like that. But um, so I just stuck it in a savings account. And uh, I think that that really was a big piece of what what made me understand that I was definitely a natural saver because I, I can't imagine too many 12 year olds who who wouldn't go crazy with two thousand bucks. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I think the other thing I, <clears throat> the other thing I want to point out is that when I was in high school, I believe it was my junior year, we had to take an economics class. And I would say I, one of the few or maybe the only person in that class that I was actually interested and excited about what I was hearing in that economics class. And I realized at that point that um, my major in college would very likely be economics. And that's what I ended up graduating with. Um, and I actually, my plan going, coming out of college was going to be to teach high school economics. Um, so that was my goal. So you can sort of tell just from those, those sort of stories from, you know, middle school and high school that um, I'm definitely very interested in finances. It's something that I'll say comes 
not necessarily comes easy to me, but it's interesting enough that I don't mind digging in and learning about it. Um, so I think some people, again, have, you know, learning about finances is an absolute pain. Um, <laughs> but for me, it's it's something that's sort of fun to do. Um, so I think all of that to say that um, you don't have to be perfect with money um, and you don't have to learn all this stuff about money because you can listen to, you know, podcasts like Faith and Finance or or choose FI, like you mentioned, and, and learn a lot of this stuff without having to do hours and hours of your own research. Um, but yeah, yeah. That's I like that you said that because it's so true. I am a normal individual. Like I'm not right. incredibly intelligent or savvy or successful or any of those things. And I just, <laughs> I finally got, I got literally so tired of living the life that I did. And so I learned about it. You know, it's not rocket science. It's really not. Um, but I mean, I think based on how I've heard you talk just now and obviously um, the stories you just shared, you obviously had some intelligence to understand or, or whether it was some innate God given. Right. Whatever. But you had you had some intellect, intelligence enough to be the person that you are. But in part, it's as you mentioned about your family you know, your, your family was a really big indicator of that in your life. And it also goes back to show that really children are products of their environments and we all make our own choices and have our own souls and do our own thing. But you have said, I learned about money because of how I was raised essentially. And then you had a natural inclination to it too, but which is really cool. So you in high school, (laughs) wanted to like who I cannot think of anyone else who really liked economics like even I was like what is this so that's really cool so when did you graduate high school and what did you do or I'm not I'm I'm sorry when did you graduate college and what did you do after college yeah so so that's also sort of a an interesting story I think my my life in general has been a series of semi-interesting stories at least to me um And so when I graduated from college, I had a degree in economics and I wanted to be a high school economics teacher, but I could not find a job teaching anywhere. Um, I applied for jobs within probably a two hour radius of my house. And that was everything from like Birmingham, Alabama, all the way to Atlanta. I applied for jobs and I, I emailed the principals directly with these, you know, um, really, you know, unique letters specific to their schools and their school district and all these things. And I got one response from one principal and it was amazing. And I got certified to teach. Um, I I understood that economics maybe wouldn't be my gateway in, um, that I might have to teach something else and then maybe transfer over to teaching economics once the economics teacher left or something like that. So I got certified to teach every math course from middle school, uh, sixth grade, all the way to 12th grade to try to get my foot in the door and could not get a teaching job. Um, So I ended up going and working as a temp at a local bank, uh, making like $8 an hour or something like that. And that is, you know, and and I felt like I was living the typical story of the person who goes to college with a bachelor's degree and I felt like I had made a good decision with my degree. I got a business degree in economics and I thought I'd made a good choice. And now I was working at this bank and didn't want to be there at all. Um, 
And the, the funny thing is, uh, I just started applying for everything. Like I just wanted out of the bank. I knew it was dead end. I wasn't headed anywhere. Like my next step up was like to be a teller. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe, you know, be a, a loan person at the bank or whatever, you know, sitting at the desk and my dream. And mm-hmm. I didn't know what my dream was, but I knew that wasn't it. Um, so I started, I mean, literally I was applying for anything and I, I, I recall even I interviewed to be the person at my college that would go into the classes and translate the voice to text for the deaf students oh, um, and just type up everything that was said in a lecture and then hand that off to the, you know, to the deaf students. And, you know, and that has nothing to do with economics, but I just wanted out of that temp bank job. It was just pushing paper and I just wanted to do something different. Um, so what that actually led to, and I have, I have no doubt in my mind that this is definitely sort of a divine intervention mm-hmm. or this was the plan or whatever you want to call it. Um, but I ended up applying for a job at a local uh, electronic health records company. And I knew nothing about that. Um, didn't even know what that meant. And <laughs> uh, they had a job for a junior Salesforce administrator. And I had no idea what Salesforce was. I had no idea what an administrator would do. And I just applied for the job. I did, it was one of probably 100 jobs I applied for. And it had been, a, I got a phone interview. I did horrible. They asked me, the, the question was, tell me what you know about business processes. And I had no idea what that meant. Um, I, I mean, I, I tried my best to answer that the best way sort of my brain knew how. And I think I sort of did like a 50% okay job, but not enough to get a job. And I knew it. So a couple of months later, I still hadn't heard anything. And finally, I get a call and uh, they say, hey, why don't you come in and, you know, do this project for us and we'll see if we like you. And um, an even longer story short, uh, yeah, I, I ended up getting the job. Um, I kept my head down and focused and I still work in Salesforce and now own my own very small Salesforce consulting company now. So seven years later, that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing. Um, so, so yeah, so sort of leading into that and, and sort of fell into this position and definitely made the most of it at this point. I love every single bit of that because I was literally thinking the same thing just before you said it, it seemed like all the, I, I always say, if it's not my door, it's not going to open. I'm going to do mm-hmm. everything I can to make it open, essentially. I mean, not force it open, but put my best foot, foot forward. And if it doesn't mm-hmm. open, then it's not my door, right? Right. And so I've had to resolve to that, you know, because I used to get so defeated when I, like, wouldn't get a job I applied for or whatever. Mm-hmm. But now I realize that a lot of those things, actually, I think probably every single one was a God thing. And right. a divine, truly a divine intervention, because let's say you had become a teacher and then there's nothing wrong with that. Like, that's no. fine. But you may have hated that, too. You know, like right. you don't that's know. Right. We just have no idea the things that God doesn't open in our lives to allow us to kind of get to the point, even if we don't quite understand it at the time to now you're at a point which we're going to talk about this later. But that Salesforce has created 
an opportunity for you to live your best life essentially. And so we'll talk about that in a minute, but just encourage like the other people who listen to this, that, you know, there is no clear path. You know, I think high schoolers especially think they're going to graduate college and everything's going to be like this, 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 and this. And then they get discouraged when it doesn't happen that way. But I am also a testament to almost a sem- I mean, a very similar story like yours. I was working in a bank and I've mentioned this on my other podcast and I hated it. I hated my job mm-hmm. and I quit and just applied for this, what was labeled as a site support um, thing. And they were like, are you good with technology? I was like, like, sure. Yeah. Like, you know, whatever. Right. And then I realized right. I actually love this. Like I love my job and I've been promoted several times on a, I've been on a project for like five months and I've been promoted quote, twice you know Mm -hmm. adding more responsibility so it just goes to show that god truly like takes care of us and also when you're taking care of your finances and trying to do the right thing it also opens doors so anyway i had to interject that there so tell the audience i know what salesforce is i love salesforce i think salesforce is awesome my friend uh nathan kressel actually told me about salesforce and has been trying to get me a job with salesforce so we'll see how that goes but anyway tell the audience exactly what salesforce is is and how it can kind of like apply maybe to them because i guarantee you most people have no stinking clue what salesforce is because i did not a year ago so (laughs) yeah yeah and that makes perfect sense and it is you know most people aren't going to know what it is unless they're involved in sort of the operations on the back end of a business Um, or they just happen to use it at their company. But to try to explain generically what it is, um, it is labeled as a CRM system. So that is a customer relationship management system. And the general use of a CRM system like Salesforce is to handle everything for a company from uh, things like generating new leads, sending out like marketing information, pulling those leads in, storing them in a database, which we may still be not going generic enough, but you're bringing, <laughs> it's, it's what you think of when you think, how does a business operate? You have to go find people who might want to buy your product. You have to store that information about them somewhere so you can contact them. Then at some point you find out that they are qualified to buy your product or they're interested in your product and you have to track that information somewhere. And then eventually they hopefully make a purchase from you um, and you will track that. And then if you're a good company, you will support the product that that uh, customer purchased and you will need to track, you know, how you support them and what products they purchased and all these types of things. Um, And then it can go as far as, you know, doing all sorts of different things like accounting and human resources and anything you can imagine that a company might need. Uh, Salesforce does that. So hopefully in a nutshell, you can sort of see how a tool like that might be important to companies all over the world. Um, yeah. And what's and really Salesforce cool. Is, Go ahead. I'm yeah. sorry. Sorry. No, I was just going to mention that Salesforce specifically is the, uh, over the last 10 years now, I'll say Salesforce has become the hands down best CRM system available on the market. So yeah. it is highly sought after, very popular, um, and they've got a great business model. So they're, they're not going anywhere anytime soon. Absolutely. And so you said you came in as a junior Salesforce admin. And so along with the system, I'll just kind of help explain to you so you don't have to if you don't want to, because <laughs> we don't have to stay on this long. But 
what an administrator does or an administrator does is essentially the system can be customized to an extent, actually to a very large extent, can be customized to the client, to the the person using it, the business using it. And that's where you mentioned it can be used for HR or accounting or blah, blah, blah. And so admins learn how to kind of part of what admins do is kind of learn how to customize that system and also just understand the system enough to help the companies that use it. And so it's also, it's just a really cool platform. Some of, some people develop the system, like write the program for it or the code, you know, for the tech people. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it's just a really cool, um, innovative company. And so it's really cool that you found, how many years ago was that when you first started working for <clears throat> Yeah. So to answer your previous question that I don't think I answered, I graduated college in 2011 and started using Salesforce in August of 2012. That's so that's when I started college. So that's cool. Literally that same semester I started college. So, yeah, Salesforce was probably I mean, Salesforce has been around for a long time, but just kind of started making its um, real big appearance. But that's right. That's right. It's became become very mainstream. Yeah. So now that we kind of set the baseline for what Salesforce is, most people are probably not interested in that, like you and I, because we're weird and we like that. So (laughs) I I could talk about Salesforce all the time. I think it's so cool. I think it's an incredible platform. But for purposes of the show, um, let's talk a little bit about how Salesforce gave you the opportunity to sort of branch out on your own if you kind of want to paint that picture for us yeah i i will i will paint this picture what i want to say what i like to clarify is that salesforce is the is the avenue i took and it's the career that i'm in that allowed me to design my life the way Mm -hmm. we'll talk about that i've design my life. Um, and, and that is what I call it, um, it is really lifestyle design. It's, yes. it's making choices around where you want to see yourself in the future. Um, and the first step in that is obviously being honest with yourself and true to yourself and identifying what brings you happiness, what, what you know, brings you joy in life, and then designing your life in such a way that you spend as much time as possible doing the things that, that make you happy. Um, and, and, and hopefully some of that is, is giving back in some way. Maybe it's spending time with your family. Maybe if you don't have a big family yet, it's, uh, just doing the small things like, you know, mission trips that you might want to do, or, uh, maybe it's as simple as just binge watching Netflix, you know, for as long as you want to, but it's, it's allowing you to spend your time doing the things you want to do. And, I guess going back to the original point is that Salesforce is the career path that I was on. So it is what I used to create this life. Um, But I think people should start by not necessarily jumping on the Salesforce um, because it's not a get rich quick scheme. Right. It's necessarily for everyone. And you should probably first think about what job are you in today? What are your skill sets that you currently have? Um, that you might be able to utilize to get a similar outcome. Salesforce is not necessarily the answer. It's, it's one answer that could potentially, you know, help you out. Right. Absolutely. uh, All of that to lead into. um, Yeah. So, so right now I, we can sort of backtrack um, from, 
from where we are, I suppose. Um, so today I work a part-time schedule um, from about eight to eight to noon each day um, and really don't have much else going on outside of that other than uh, work-wise, I should say. Um, and easily, easily, and not, and not to be, you know, to, to sound arrogant or anything like that, but it's just to point out that you can, you can design your life in a way that you can work part-time and make, you know, six figures a year if that's something that, that you want to do. Um, and it's, I don't think it's that difficult. It just takes focus. It takes determination. Um, and you have to be willing to think outside the box. If you, if you're going to follow the standard path, you're going to get the standard results. Um, so you have to think outside the box and be creative if you want to have a different lifestyle than other people. Um, so Salesforce was my avenue to get to this lifestyle. And, um, the way that I sort of did that was I fell into this job and don't get me wrong. That was, that was a blessing. And that was, you know, that was out, out of my hands completely. Um, and I fell into this junior Salesforce administrator job, had no idea what it was, but I can tell you that the first thing that I did was I gave that job 110%. Um, I got, I immediately within six months got a Salesforce certification which only one other staff member at the company had, and they had been there three plus years. And there were other people who had been there two or three years and still didn't have a certification. So six months in, I had already not necessarily surpassed my peers, but shone my motivation compared to my peers. Um, and then the next thing I did was when people would talk to me and they would say, hey, this job you're in, the Salesforce thing, it could get difficult. It might be a hard job. It might be hard to understand, but don't give up on it because once you get it, you're going to have a career and you're going to be set for life with this thing. And I didn't shrug them off. I didn't say they don't know what they're talking about. I took their advice because they were older than me, wiser than me. They'd been in this longer than I had. And I decided to just take their advice for what it was because I had nothing to lose. And uh, so I did and I stuck with it and things did get hard. Um, about three months into that job, I, I wanted to quit. And I had talked to my wife about quitting and uh, we decided to stick it out and realized I was just sort of being flaky. And when the going got tough, I tried to get going um, as I'm leaving. And uh, I decided not to do that and stuck it out. And things went really well after that. And I got the hang of it and things started clicking. And uh, from there, the company um, was acquired by another company and they were downsizing. So my boss advised that I look for another job because um, he wasn't sure of the future. And so I did. And I went into a consulting role. And because I don't mind sharing numbers, um, that first job as a Salesforce junior administrator, I made about $35,000 a year with a, you know, a four-year college degree, which all of us sitting in college getting ready to graduate, we would have, you know, thought that that wasn't all that much. Um, so I wasn't thrilled, but it was a good start. Um, and then after that, I only worked there for one year and took a job with a Salesforce consulting company, and I made $60,000 a year after one year. As just a, uh, an admin still? Um, as a technically as a Salesforce consultant. Okay. So at this point, I had, I had two certifications. Um, after that year, I'd gotten two certifications 
And I came in as basically a junior level consultant gotcha. with a Salesforce consulting company. Um, and the name of that company was Blue Wolf at the time. And it's still a name, but they are, um, they're owned by Dell, I believe now. Okay. Um, so they do consulting with Dell. And uh, yeah, so I worked with them for a little while. And then I, uh, that was for about a year and a half. And then I moved to another consulting company um, a year and a half later. And I think, yeah, that paid $80,000 plus bonuses, um, which ended up being right at about $95,000 a year total. And I was only two and a half years into this career. Um, I worked there for about a year and a half, um, took one last consulting position with another company, uh, made about 110000 plus bonuses. And then I, that's when we found out that we were pregnant and we were going to have a daughter. And I decided to switch to part-time work. Um, and uh, yeah, I decided that I, I made more money than I ever thought I would. And there was more important things in life than money. And you, mm-hmm. I mean, based on what we said before, I was fairly frugal. So our expenses never got out of control. Um, so we always kept our expenses down. We were just saving a lot of money. And uh, what I decided we would do or what we as a family decided we would do uh, would be for me to work part time um, and make half as much money. So we were going to make about $60,000 a year um, with me working part time. And we were OK with that. And uh, I think uh, most people would be okay with that. But it, unless you put yourself in those shoes, it is a fairly difficult decision to give up, you know, a $60,000 yeah. portion of your income. Um, when I could have just said, hey, every other dad in the world works 40 hours a week. Why shouldn't I? Um, and I easily could have said that. But I decided to, you know, sort of come against that and say, you know, every other dad can do whatever they want to do. I'm going to work the least amount possible in order to pay the bills for my family and spend as much time as I can with my daughter while she's young. Um, so that was a decision that we made as a family. Um, and the, the funny thing is, and I don't want to jump ahead too much and we can, I'm sure we'll dive into portions of this, but um, what ended up happening was I, I call it brain bandwidth. Um, <laughs> when I switched over to part-time work, I wasn't burnt out working 40, 50, 60 hours a week. I had a lot of downtime, even though we had a new baby. Um, and I had a lot of time to myself to sort of think. And I didn't realize that when you work a 40, 50, 60 hour a week job, I, you, you don't have time to take a step back and think about what you're doing um, and, and, and sort of, uh, process that and figure out if you're making the right decisions. And um, the funny thing is, I I made $60,000 for a very short period of time. It was about four months um, before I realized, hey, I can get another client. I can work them um, when I have downtime on my day job. I can work them in the evenings if I want to. Um, I can sort of be flexible with the second client. And I took them on and and sort of to, to just polish off this, this conversation. In 2018, I ended up uh, gross income at 170000 working from eight to noon each day. Um, and that is just from a, it is a mirage of just making interesting choices, um, getting the clients that I wanted that fit my schedule, even though they may not be the highest paying client, they were a good fit for me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, and so there's a lot of those decisions. And I'll say that a lot of what enabled all of this to happen was that I was always coming from a position of power. Mm. Um, I never needed the money because I didn't buy the boat. I didn't buy three cars. I didn't buy the, the mansion. I, I didn't do any of those things when my income got high. So I always had the option to not give my employer the power um, because employers hold so much power over you because they have your income in their hand. And when your income doesn't matter as much to you, um, you take the power right out of the employer's hands and it becomes more of a partnership where they need you and you need them, or at least you enjoy the job enough that you're willing to work for them. Um, and it's not that you have to work for them anymore. So I know that was crazy long winded. No, I uh, loved it. So, so I will let you sort of dig into to any, any part of that. Yes. So there were like 500 tidbits of things yes. that are so good. No, that are so good. in what you just said, and if people really understand the heart in what you're saying, I think they mm. can grasp also, you know, it's not just because you went and worked for Salesforce. That's not the point you're trying to make. That's right. The point you're trying to make is that um, number. Well, I, I don't even know where to start because it was all so good. Like just so many things that you said clicked with me. And it goes back to say like um, you, number one, started working really hard for um, that time you were a junior admin to learn and to gain that experience and to put a hundred, I think you said 110% or whatever it was you into that job. And now, you know, we all are about kind of like life optimization and lifestyle design, but Mm -hmm. also you understood the end goal, right? Like you understood, Hey, I'm going to put as much as I can into this. They're paying me. I might as well learn this system. And because you understood the, um, the advantage that you would have if you did that. Right. So number one is you worked really hard um, to at the beginning, at the front end of these things, which is awesome. And then number two, you started realizing that, uh, Hey, I can actually leverage this with other things, you know, to, to not just gain more money, but also um, gain more experience and certain certifications and whatnot. And you made yourself valuable to another employee and to or employer and to your own employers. And so you just kept progressing and progressing. And then eventually, you know, your wife finds out that you guys are pregnant and you're like, you know, this money is great, but um, I want to spend time with my kid again, lifestyle design is that is like the perfect way to put everything that I try to talk about now with like money. It's not just about money and it is a bear. It's a tool, right? But it's not right. everything. And you said, you know, we're willing to take that pick up. But you were able to do that because the power was in your hands. You didn't have to go work all that time. You know, you could have, like, like you said, like you could have went and worked for 50 hours a week and whatever, and it would have been fine, but you didn't have to, nor did you want to. And because you said, I get this one life with my kid when she's little um, or at all, really, it doesn't matter if they're 18, 19, 20, like you, you want to spend time with your family. And so you made that choice to, to do that. And you were able to do that. But then I just got off another interview earlier, which will air, um, you know, sometime, but it will air like, and they'll hear me say this, but that, you know, eventually it comes down to like treating 
dollars for time and got and sometimes the math with god doesn't make sense so like you literally <laughs> took half the time <laughs> for your pay but then ended up like getting that all back and more you know because you yeah. made those decisions and i really love that i mean there's so i'm sure i'm missing I, mean, I know i'm missing something and all that goodness like that you just spoke and hopefully people will really think about the heart of what you're saying and i know that they will but I wanted to point out a couple of those things, because, again, it's all about not only are we stewards of God's money that he gives to us, but we are stewards of the time given to us, too. You know? right. And you were like, I don't get this time back with my kid and nor do I have to work or want to work. And you held the power in your hand. And that's what I talk about, too, is like, that's why I was able to quit my job that I hated. And I didn't have a ton of money. But I was able to quit and take a risk because I had some cash, you know, and now I found something I really love to do in this kind of like environment. And it's the same for you. So I don't know if you want to add to any of that or whatever, but you are good to continue on with whatever um, you would like sure. to say. But I just want to point out a couple of those things. Yeah. And I, th- I think to sort of um, lean into what you mentioned about like the the heart of the message. And I think when you talk about numbers like we just talked about um and and a lot of people aren't comfortable talking about numbers and it's one of those things where i wish more people talked about how much they paid or how much they need to make or how much they think they need to make and all these kinds of things and um i i wish that that was a more open conversation because um i think it can be a little taboo but at the same time i don't i don't i would mention those numbers whether i made you know twenty thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars it wouldn't matter It's, Mm -hmm. it's about being open so people can sort of see where you're coming from. So first I want to point that out, but also, yeah, these decisions. And I think a lot of people can scoff and say, Oh, it must be easy to work part time. If you're going from an insane salary to a completely, you know, respectable salary still, it's so easy to make that decision. But like I said earlier, it's, uh, you know, make that decision when you're there. Um, Mm -hmm. To take yourself and say, I think that I think most families, if you really do the math, most families can get by on about forty thousand dollars a year. So I would challenge anyone who thinks that you can just cut your pay in half and you'll be okay with that. Um, if you make eighty thousand dollars, then you should be cutting your pay in half. Um, and if you're not comfortable with that, then you have to sort of check yourself and see why is it that you're not comfortable cutting your pay in half because. If you even if you have a household income of eighty to one hundred thousand dollars, you should be able to make some unique choices um, and make half as much money, still pay your bills, and really spend your time doing the things that you value in life instead of following that that standard narrative. Um, so I, I think that's a lot of it. But but the other thing is, yeah, I made these decisions based on. Um, what I knew was important. And I know so many people, and whether you consider it right or wrong, it's totally fine. I personally valued, and I knew that I valued the time with my daughter more than anything. Um, And there was nothing that was going to stop me, certainly not, you know, some ridiculous income to stop me from spending that time with her. Um, So I think a lot of that goes into it. And I think So I think that the hardest part of all of this is actually for people to identify what they value in life. And what I try to tell people is that um, 
what sort of how you can think of this is pretend that today you no longer have to work anymore. Um, there's nothing that you are responsible for at all in your life. If you want to go live on an island by yourself, you can do that. Um, now that you have this clean slate, try to think about three things. If you can only do three things every day for the rest of your life, you're not allowed to change those three things. You can only do those three things for the rest of your life. So to me, this, some easy ones might be spend time with family. Um, it might be travel. It might be, um, you know, uh, you know, get outside every day or play video games or watch TV, whatever it is to you that you can honestly tell yourself, if I had to pick three things, what would those three things be? And it's hard to narrow those down. And you can't, you can't say general things like spend time with people because that's not really fair. Um, but I think for me, I narrowed those down to, it was spending time with my nuclear family, my wife and daughter. Um, even if I had to give up the rest of my family, if I had to choose, um, you know, just my nuclear family, that would be my number one. My number two would be, I want to be able to get outside in nature every day. Um, whether that's a bike ride or a hike or just a walk around the neighborhood, I want to be able to get outside and do that every single day. Um, and then my third thing, which I really struggled with, um, ended up being that I want to work to some extent. Um, and that doesn't mean work doing Salesforce stuff. And that doesn't mean cutting the grass and those kind of things. But what it does mean is that I want to do something positive and something productive and something that makes me feel like I'm having an impact every single day. So, so I, I narrowed my three things down to just those. So family, um, getting outside and doing something that's positive and productive. Um, and so at that point, all the roadblocks, and this shouldn't be a 10 minute exercise. And this really shouldn't be a one week exercise. This should be a lifelong month after month reevaluation of what you value. And at that point, what you should be able to do is take a step back and say, <clears throat> what is stopping me from doing that every single day? What is stopping me? So when I said, what is stopping me from getting outside every day? What is stopping me from spending all of my time with my family? Um, and what is stopping me from feeling positive and productive? And you can look or you can sort of look at your schedule and you'll see that there's these two huge chunks of your time. And one is sleep, which we're not really going to be able to touch because I think we can all agree that we need to sleep. <laughs> but the second massive chunk of your time is going to be time spent working. And that's going to be getting ready for work in the morning, getting dressed, commuting, actually working your job, getting home, decompressing, changing out of those clothes, getting a shower, whatever. There's a lot of time on average, about 10 hours a day that, that, an, that the average individual will spend on a work related item. And you're only awake 16 hours a day. So that only leaves you with six hours. Um, and you have to keep in mind also that those six hours are not free time. Those six hours are, um, you know, getting groceries or running errands or cleaning the house or cooking dinner. Um, so those will get away from you very quickly. And 
the only way that I found that I could easily get a big chunk of time back was I had to do something creative with my work in order to get to a point where I could still work and feel productive, spend more time with my family and spend more time being active outdoors. Um, and so I think if you can just get down to what you value, if you love your job, then this isn't going to be difficult, right? Because you're going to identify your job as one of the things you value because that's one of your valued items. But if you cannot put your job on that list, um, then, then you're sort of not allowed to write those eight hours or 10 hours a day off as mm. okay to live with because you're, in, in my opinion, and I know a lot of people may disagree, in my opinion, we get this one life. We get a, an extremely limited amount of days and hours and if you are writing those off just by saying, hey, look, everybody works eight to 10 hours a day. Everybody does it. Well, well everybody does a lot of things. And that doesn't mean we should all do it. Um, and we, we just have to make sure we're not taking this extremely valuable and limited life, you know, for granted and, and just make the most of it. Right. I so agree with everything that you just said, because you're right. You know, it, I, I, I preach this all the time on this podcast. It's about spending on the money spending money on the things that you value Mm -hmm. and spending time on the things that you value and I I shared a story a couple weeks ago where I started looking at the data of like the things that I spent money on and spent time on and it didn't lie it showed me that I I said I you know I said I valued family and going to church and giving, but yeah. really I valued yeah. going to McDonald's because I was lazy and didn't want to make dinner. You know, like yeah. the data oh, does not lie. And yep, so that's like, right. like you said, um, making yeah. those choices based on what you want to do. You know, like you said, if, if you want to work for like all those hours, like please do, you know, and it's not that to say yep. that there's something wrong with that. There's not. It's just no. you, you have to, you know, the Bible talks about even exchanging. What will you, what will a man exchange um, for his soul? Right. Right. And so it's the same kind of concept here. What are you going to exchange for time really? Because time is not renewable. So what do you value here? And I think that again, is the heart of what all of this is, is what you're, Mm -hmm. what you're trying to say, you know, your path was different than my path. And my path is different than someone listening in the audience, but we all get the same amount of hours in a day. Like that's something we don't get to take back, you know, and nobody ever at the end of the day said, man, I really wish I would have worked longer because, uh, like for whatever, nobody, right. Right. Especially, you know, when in seasons of loss or um, things like that, at the end of the day, we're like, you know, they always say what you do for God will last. Right. And if you're going to work for your family, like, please do, please provide for your family. But also like, okay, what do I actually need to live on? And do I really need to buy all this stuff? Like when you don't need all the things and you don't have debt, like you really don't need a bunch of money to live on. But um, anyway. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I, yeah, I wanted to mention, there's like some quote, I don't remember who, who sort of originated it, but it was like, don't, uh, it's something along the lines of like, don't, don't tell me what you value. Um, Basically give me a, give me a copy of your copy of your credit card statement and mm-hmm. I can, I can tell you what you value. Um, right. 
I, I don't need you to tell me. You can, I can tell by your credit card statement exactly what you value. Um, so yeah, so you have to make sure that your spending aligns with with what you value. And yeah, I talk about I talk to people about this too, and it's that um, if you want to drive a Range Rover and you have this amazing vehicle, and every day when you get in it, you you are happy and and it and it brings you joy, then by all means, that's something that you value. If you go out for steak dinners, you know, at Ruth Chris Steakhouse or Longhorn or whatever, and you're you're dropping fifty, hundred bucks a meal, and you enjoy that and you leave happy and you don't regret that decision and you think that it's worth your time and energy and your money, then by all means that is something that you value. It doesn't it's not even close to what I value, but you're not wrong for what you value. Um, just make sure you're doing it for the right reasons and not, you know, to impress somebody else or to, to look a certain way, obviously. Um, right. Yeah. And, and you're exactly right. And I think one of the, one of my big passions um, is spending time with children. And I, I've thought even before I had a child that children get so overlooked. Um, and my, my wife has a little brother who is 10 year. No, I'm sorry. He is 20 years younger than her. And so he is 11 years old now. And I remember he was three when I met him. And I remember just noticing that at you know, family gatherings, the, the kid always gets overlooked, right? Like they're made to go play by themselves um, or play with the other kids or whatever it may be. And I just thought, man, like, why can't we just, you know, really value the kids? And like, so I always make an effort to, you know, get down on the floor and make sure that I'm engaging and not saying, hey, be quiet. I'm talking to aunt whoever right now, you know, um, because they're, they're important, too, and they're people, too. And just because they're not talking about adult conversation doesn't mean that we can't get on their level. Um, right. And yeah, and so that sort of leads me into, you know, I especially and I, I think and I don't want to stereotype, but I think especially with dads, we we feel some sort of okayness with being the provider and <clears throat> working the long hours. And we feel like I work all these hours to provide for my family and I do it all for them. And I don't think you can be honest with yourself and say that unless you are just scraping by and paying the bills. Um, because if it's to buy the boat and it's to buy the, the big car and it's to buy the vacation home and, and all those things, then I, I honestly believe you have got to gut check yourself and get home and, and spend time with your kids and your family. Um, and it doesn't need to be all about work. It, at some point you've got to, you've got to go with yourself and, and spend that time with your kids. And yeah, I wanted to point out a, uh, a stat too. Yeah. So there's this stat that, that um, I like to share with people um, and it's a little depressing, but I think it's important and it shouldn't be depressing. It should be compelling. And it's that when your kids turn 18 and they move out of your house, um, let's assume those things happen around the same time. Um, at the point that your kids move out of your house, you have at that point spent 90% of the time you are going to spend with them. Um, wow. so, so at 18 years old, if your kid moves out at 18, at that point, you only have 10% of the time left in their entire life to spend with them. Um, and I just think that should be so compelling to people that if you want to work the 80 hour a week job, do it after your kid goes to college. And I know that may be counterintuitive and it may not make sense, but if that's the decision you have to make, then make it because you're not going to see them anymore after that. 
And really, if we get honest with ourselves, you're really the, the first, you know, 10, 12 years are going to be the key years that your kids are going to want to spend time with you. They're going to want to hang out with you. They're going to actually enjoy their time with you and you're going to enjoy your time with them. And at some point they're going to want to hang out with their friends and do sports and extracurriculars with the school and spend the night over at their, their buddy's house and those kind of things. And immediately you're going to start taking a back seat to their life. And that is perfectly fine and it's natural and that's okay. And if you're lucky, they may want to spend time with you, you know, longer than that. And, but there's just as much of a likelihood that you won't even get 10 or 12 good years um, before they're, they're preoccupied with other things. So I just think uh, all of that to say, it is so important that definitely make sure that you dedicate time before they turn 18 and you really should be making sure you are dedicating time before they're hitting those those key points where they're they're starting to you know do spend the nights over at friends' houses and get more involved with school and extracurriculars and those kind of things. Um, so hopefully people will listen to that, and even if it means that you don't make as much money or you don't further your career as far as you thought you might, um, those things really don't matter when it comes down to you know, the, the one thing you might really regret in life would be, um, you know, realizing that your kids aren't around anymore and uh, you blew your shot at the, the time you had with them. That's right. Yeah, it's convicting. I don't have children yet, but I know that someday, obviously, I hope to have some. But sure. I mean, I have dogs. Does that count? No, I'm just, I'm just yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine <laughs> spending no time with your dogs. Yes, because <laughs> they are crazy when I'm not here, you know, like. They, right. it's just like kids when they don't see you for a while they're like ah! they're like crazy right. look what you're putting them through yeah. uh, <laughs> right um brad this has been awesome like so much goodness has come out of this conversation i really again i hope and i know that my audience will understand the heart and what you're saying and be able to apply some of these things that they've said um, that you have said to their lives. And so is there anything else, any final remarks you would like to leave with the audience? Um, you know, just, just be aware of your life um, and the limited time that you have, make sure you're spending it the way that you actually want to spend it. So just take some time, think about how you actually want to spend your life and try to design your life in a way um, that will lead you down that path. And of course, God is in full control. Um, and there's only so much you can do, but you can absolutely put a hundred percent towards, towards godly things and positive things and, and try to, you know, design your life as much as he would will it. Um, and I, I think with all that being said, um, if you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Facebook, I think is probably the easiest way. Um, my username there is Bradley Michael Rice. So I've got my middle name. So you should be able to find me pretty easily there. Um, and yeah, and just message me if you have any questions or if you want to tell me, you know, how horrible a person I am or any of those <laughs> things, feel free to message me there. Um, and uh, yeah, and I, I think if you want to hear more about if you're if Salesforce sounds like something you might want to at least look further into. Um, feel free to message me on there. We've got a Facebook group specifically for uh, Salesforce and sort of financially minded people. Um, Wait, and- what? Hold yes. on. Hold on. Yes. Hold on. 
guys, this is news to me because I need to be part of this group right now. Because... Okay. Yeah, this may be um, I'll information link I forget stuff. to share. Yeah, I'll totally link all this stuff like in okay. the um, show notes, how they can reach you. And also yes. I'll link the episode to Choose FI because that's a really good episode. Okay. And they also have some of your episode. resources there too. Um, yep. And if you want to yeah, hear more so... from Brad, he talks more. Um, he talks about kind of different things a little bit in that episode and there's also another podcast that he was on that I can link to and all of it's really good stuff so if you guys want to hear more from him awesome all right well thanks for your time and uh yeah I hope your audience enjoys this and I look forward to hearing from them awesome thank you so so much Brad all right thank you I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Faith and Finance podcast. I have linked the episodes of other interviews that Brad has been on in the show notes. And I've also linked to his Facebook page if you would like to reach out to him. As always, you can reach out to me at faithandfinance.org or on Instagram at faith.in.finance and email me at adrian at faithandfinance.org. Org. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends. If you're not sure how to do that, ask me because I will show you. But anyway, thank you again so much for listening today to today's episode. Keep the faith, my friend. <laughs>